question. What should the church be doing? Come on, help me now. What are we doing here? Worshiping God is great. It's very necessary. It's, it's what we were created for. You're giving really good answers in just saying that. Uh, providing good music, providing programs for children, youth, men, women, great preaching of God's Word. Amen. Uh, you can't have everything, right? Let's just say preaching of God's Word. Okay. Uh, these things are vital and necessary in their place. The purpose of these things, though, is what we're looking at today in in Galatians chapter 6, and that is serving one another by doing good for them in light of the gospel. Serving one another by doing good for them in the light of the gospel. We're looking at Galatians chapter 6, which follows, of all things, Galatians chapter 5. And where we were last week, we saw from verse 13 in chapter 5 of Galatians that Paul said that when God called us to Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, which he did, that's the gospel, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He freed us, he called us to freedom, freeing us from bondage to sin and condemnation and curse of the law. But he said we are not to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You might recall that the flesh is that junk in our lives that doesn't honor or glorify God, doesn't love God or trust God. It's everything in us that is not either from Christ or for Christ. That's what what the flesh is. And as Christians, we still have the residual of that. And it can be quite nasty. But Christ freed us from sin and the law for serving one another through love. That's what he says in verse 13 of chapter 5. We saw that last week. That is what we were freed for, not to spend on ourselves or our flesh, but to serve one another through love. So Paul said that if we walk by the Holy Spirit, that's the enabler, that's the one who takes the things of Christ, the, the gospel power, the gospel redemption of Christ, uniting us to him and, and, and actually applying that freedom in our lives so that we have the power to live out what God calls us to. So we're not coming back under the law in order to obey God. We're, we are obeying God now in the power of the Holy Spirit who does what Christ loves to do, which is perfectly obey God. So that's the, the good news, is Paul showing us that when we walk by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, it's not some vague mystical spirituality. It's living in purity. It's living in joyful self-control. That's joyful self-control. Every once in a while we hit that mark, don't we? and in humility and patience in relationships. In fact, the majority of the ways Paul described in, in the passage from last week in chapter 5 have to do with how, we, uh, have, how the gospel and the Holy Spirit impact how we relate to one another, how we love one another. Huge, on-the-ground, concrete ways that we express gospel living. In fact, verse 26 of chapter 5, right before where we're going to launch off in verse 1 of chapter 6, Paul had the gall to say that we are not to be conceited, not to be self-centered, provoking one another and envying one another. So how much more in our face can he get? Well, he gets a little bit more in our face today. And what we're going to see is uh, Paul continues exhorting the Galatian receivers of this letter originally and us now 2,000 years later uh, how to practically live gospel-centered lives by the Spirit. And when we say gospel-centered and spirit, we're talking virtually about the same thing. 
Because when you have the gospel, you have the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit, you have trusted in Christ through the, through the gospel. So those are almost interchangeable terms. We're going to see that today that more of what gospel-centered living by the Spirit looks like, how it plays out in some vital areas, including um, restoring sinning members, res- restoring one another to, to God and to his church when, they, when we sin. We're going to see that it has to do with bearing one another's burdens. And we're going to see that it has to do with not quitting in doing good. So let's look at this text together, verse 1 of chapter 6. There's a lot here, so hang on. Chapter 6, verse 1 through 10 in Galatians. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one, each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Pray with me, would you? Oh, Father. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to redeem us from the curse and condemnation of the law, fulfilling it for us and freeing us to live it out by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you who are the author of the scripture, would you cause your word to come alive and become very specific to us today. Help me to make it clear in the way I speak and do what only you can do, opening our hearts to receive the truth of your gospel. In Christ alone we pray. Amen. So, in verse 1, Paul says, If any person finds himself caught in any transgression, any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. We hate this fact, but it's not too infrequent in the church that people are finding themselves caught in any one of these works of the flesh that he talked about last week in in sin. Uh, It's just very common, right? I mean, we sin... Uh, in ways big and small, and it's not without frequency. So what are we supposed to do with that? Well, Paul says, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore that person. What does that mean, you who are spiritual? You who are spiritual doesn't refer to a special elite group of spiritual sin busters. Who are you going to call, right? You need a team called sin busters. It refers to those who are walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, in the, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. That is, who are Spirit-led people, people who are Christians, who are sticking close to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And the word for restore was used in other contexts to refer to mending fishing nets or to setting a broken bone, resetting a broken bone. 
So what does it mean to restore a sinning brother or sister in Christ? Very simply, it means you help them to repent. You come alongside in love and mercy and seek, help them to seek forgiveness and move in steps of faith obedience to the Lord. And you do this in a spirit of gentleness, he says, um, uh, in humility. I think of uh, a couple at the church we were at before, uh, years of, of discipling and correcting myself and others were involved in their lives. They, they just had a lot of messy things in their lives. In fact, the, the, the man, the husband in the couple, had come from a, a street gang in the L.A. area, so he had a pretty rough background. He came to Christ, and so they had a lot of roughness in their relationship. And because God was gracious to us as a church body to embrace and come alongside them, and because he was at work in their lives, uh, now they are leaders of a Bible study, and he's an elder at our, at our former church. So it's just amazing what God can do if we will just cooperate with the way he wants to restore people who have been caught in sin. It should be the common, ordinary work of the church to do that. And Paul warns us, he says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Tempted to what? Well, at the very least, tempted to, to uh, operate out of self-righteous pride. And with that, that opens the door to other sins. So tempted to sin in our own right, usually starting with pride which so often leads to other sins. You know, it's shameful and embarrassing to have your sin exposed, right? It's just not fun. It's not something, man, I just can't wait to expose my sin before people. You know, there may be a few who enjoy that, but most of us don't. That's why it's so important we cultivate gospel-centered attitude and practice as to how we relate to each other when we fall into sin. Sadly, though, uh, well... I need to say that just as Jesus has been gracious in leading us to repentance, so we want to be gracious to helping other people come to repentance in the same way we would hope they would treat us when we sin. So it sounds simple, but not everyone wants to be restored. Not everyone wants to to repent and to be restored to the Lord and to his people when they sin. But hopefully it's not because we are harsh and self-righteous toward them. I think also of another example of former church. There was a young woman who was pregnant. She was single. And um, she came to a group of us and said, here's my situation. I'm pregnant. And I know that what I did was outside of the Lord's will. And I want to make it right. So we prayed with her. And uh, she, before the church, asked forgiveness. The church embraced her. And now she and her husband, the man who married her, uh, are, they had a big growth period over a period of years, and now they are part of a church plant in, in a city in Oregon, and uh, he's an elder in that church. So God is just about restoring people, not, uh, not that everybody becomes you know, elders and church planters, but just that he has a role for all of us to play, and sin is not the end of it. But we, we need to recognize that and, and so live in that kind of hope and humility toward one another. Or, it's like Paul said in another context, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Well, instead of being proud and not helping people, um, in verse 2, Paul says we should bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is a burden? I think we all know what a burden is, but I'll give us some words to it. It means literally, it, it literally referred to a heavy weight or stone someone must carry for a long distance. Now, the word came to mean any oppressive ordeal or hardship that we face. 
So every Christian has a burden, right? If anybody here is unburdened today, you are an amazing exception. Um, so in light of what he said in verse 1, our, our burden could be uh, a sin or a transgression that we've been caught up in. And bearing that person's burden, as we just saw, means helping restore that person. But what is your burden today? It could be a temptation that you're battling with. It could be financial hardship. It could be dealing with consequences of a moral failure. Uh, it could be sick, sickness and suffering physically. It could be someone you love suffering ill health. Or you're depressed and stressed about various things going on in your life. Or marriage tensions, family relationships strained, wayward children or grandchildren, unemployment, substance abuse, family members who are not yet believers in Christ. You're lonely. Burdens of ministry. My question then, in addition to that, are, are any brothers and sisters in Christ alongside you helping you bear your, bear your burden? We're told that's what we're supposed to do. And that means we need to know one another's burdens in order to help bear them, right? So we are to bear one another's burdens, that is, help each other carry the loads we bear. Since we all have burdens, that means most of us are going to be carrying our burdens and someone else's. Now, every once in a while, we get hit with a huge burden that kind of takes us off the helping another person bear their burden responsibility. However, some people who are the most burdened are the most gracious burden bearers at the same time. Francis Chan tells about how Johnny Erickson Tata, Johnny Erickson Tata, if you haven't heard of her, she's a quadriplegic of about 50 years ago in a diving accident, who in more recent years has suffered intense indeterminate of the cause pain, that uh, pain medications decreasing effectiveness. So she's in intense pain, can't sleep at night, husband has to turn her and move her all the time, and she, she has people who help her with that. And in addition, she came down with a, uh, she was diagnosed with cancer. And while she was in cancer treatment, she called Francis and asked how she could pray for him because she understood he was going through a hard time. Now, if you've ever heard Francis Chan preach, you know, you could hear him just saying, I can't believe this, this woman who's going through all this stuff and I just broke my, stubbed my pinky and she's calling me asking how to pray. I mean, it's, it's so don't underestimate how God's grace I about shot my voice on that one. I can't do Francis Chan. <laughs> you may be glad if I have to quit early. But Paul says as we bear one another's burdens, we will fulfill the law of Christ. And certainly, at the very least, the law of Christ here is through love serving one another, but it also means applying Christ's word and wisdom to various situations through the Holy Spirit. So we're not adding to people's burden by giving foolish counsel. But at the very least, we're talking about through love's serving one another. And he says in verse 3, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So since the law of Christ includes humble, loving service to others, don't think somehow you're too good 
or important to get involved with others' burdens. In fact, if Christ so humbled himself to stoop down to bear our burden of sin on himself when he didn't deserve any of it, how can we be too good or too holy or too important to serve others? Maybe you think they deserve the mess they're in. And a lot of times we would be right. Do we give what we deserve? In Christ, we don't give what we deserve. If we got what we deserve, we would all be in a horrendous, eternal mess, right? So we approach people with a gospel-centered perspective and come alongside and help bear their burdens, whether we think they deserve what they're getting or not. And then in verse 4, Paul continues on on this theme, and he says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So the word for test originally referred to the fiery testing of gold to test its purity. And it comes to mean examine to test genuineness. So what's Paul saying? As we get involved with others' lives, we see their faults. It's just the reality of it. We easily fall into comparing ourselves with them. What we often do is find people who we think are worse than we are, and we say, well, at least I'm not as bad as... He is or she is. And that's the standard that we use. Or when we compare ourselves to those who seem better than we are in whatever ways, we excuse ourselves. Well, if he or she had my upbringing, boy, he would, be, he, you know, he would know what it's like. Or uh, if he or she was married to my husband or my wife, you know, he would be in a big mess too. Or um, uh, if they faced the things I faced in life, they wouldn't be doing so well. Or if I... If, if, if I had what they have, I would be more godly. Or if I had his her gifts or her gifts, then I would really serve the Lord and on we go. That's not the standard. Don't compare yourself to other people. Do not do that, as Paul says. Uh, examine your work for, for the Lord based upon his word through the lens of the gospel. The standard for you and for me is not you or me. It is in Christ alone and the gospel. And what the word of God uh, places on us. So the question for us is, how am I growing in relationship to Christ, my faithfulness to him? Each of us is uniquely gifted by the Spirit. Others cannot repent for us. They can't trust Christ for us. Try as they might. We can't do it. I can't trust Christ for you. I can't repent for you. You can't do it for me. Uh, we can't obey for other people. We can't serve for them. We can encourage and stir one another up to love and good works, but see verse 5. That's my note, say, see verse 5. What's in verse 5? Somebody tell me. Uh, oh, yeah, each will have to bear his own load. Well, Paul had just written that we're to bear one another's burdens. Now he says, in another sense, we must each bear our own Lord load. What's up with that? Well, each of us is going to be accountable to God for how we respond to and live in light of the grace of the gospel of Christ. We are each responsible to God for our own growth and service to Christ and will be evaluated when we stand before Christ as Christians. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There will be an evaluation, a judgment, so to speak, of Christians, not for our condemnation because Christ has already completely taken all condemnation away. He has paid the price for us completely, so there's no condemnation. However, there will be an evaluation, an assessment of how we lived in light of the gospel, how we used the gifts that he gave to us, and, and so on. So uh, that is what Paul's talking about in verse 5. And then there's this perplexing verse 6. I don't know why Paul put this verse here. 
Some, it seems like almost out of nowhere, he says, don't forget to pay the pastor teacher. Now, I'm for that. Um, maybe it's an application of bearing one another's burdens to free the pastor teacher up to focus on teaching the word. Maybe it is a great privilege to be paid to teach the word of God. It's just ridiculous to get paid to teach the word of God. No, it's, it's an awesome privilege. Um, I think one thing this verse makes clear is that a priority of the church is the teaching of the word of God. So much so that you dedicate somebody or a group of somebodies to do that. Moving on then. There's a lot here to cover, so we just kind of have to move at a clip. So the last verses of this chapter, or this section, verses 7 to 10, what Paul's doing here is driving home his overall exhortation to serve one another through love by walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh. So this is kind of his summary of, uh, of that truth. And he begins with this general kind of truism. Don't be deceived... I'm not kidding about this, he says. God cannot be mocked. God is not mocked. God cannot be mocked. You can mock him, but you can't do it successfully, and that's not uh, good for you to do that. Now, the word for mock literally means to turn up the nose in mockery or contempt. It's very visual. You can say, I'm going to mock God. Really? I'm going to get my own way on this. Uh, Paul's not talking about general mocking of God, though. He's talking about not being deceived that there is a connection, an unbreakable connection between uh, how we live and the results, the inevitable results of how we live. So we try to be deceived about that. We try to deny that there's a connection between how I live and what the consequences are. We try to train our kids that way. We still don't believe it ourselves. There are consequences, both good and bad, to how we live. So just as sure as planting cucumber seeds grows into cucumbers, uh, green bean seeds produce green beans, and turnip seeds produce turnips. You know, I just named turnips. I don't like turnips. Well, maybe I've never even had a turnip. I don't know, but I I think I don't like them. (laughs) When our kids were little, we told them, you have to at least try it once. So, okay, maybe I need to go try a turnip. Uh, if If anyone has one handy after the service, I'll try it. Um, just as sure as those things produce after their kind, so do the choices we make, the words we speak, the actions we take have certain and sure results. Or as the saying goes, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Have you heard that before? Yes. Yeah. But Paul's speaking specifically about living by the Spirit. He's not just talking generically. And when we, again, when we say living by faith in, living by the Holy Spirit, we're talking about living by faith in the gospel of Christ because you don't have one without the other. Gospel-centered living and spirit-empowered living are inter, intertwined because what Paul's not calling us to here is moralism. The last thing he's calling us to is pull up your own moral bootstraps and in your own strength, out of your own moral resources, do these things. No, he's saying by the Spirit, do these things. So verse 8, he says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul describes here two kinds of people. In fact, these are the only two kinds of people there are on the planet. You are either living out of the flesh or living by the Spirit. There may be degrees of what that looks like, but there are only those two kinds of people. Every person in the world is either living out of the flesh 
or living according to the Spirit. Again, the flesh is everything in you and I that doesn't love, trust, or glorify God. The flesh is everything in us that isn't from Christ or for Christ. The Spirit is the person of the three-in-one God, three persons in one God. He's the person of the Godhead who unites us to Christ and activates all the gospel benefits Christ accomplished for us and works to conform us to our identity in Christ. All right, so the bad news is, if your life is defined by sowing to your own flesh, and by the way, he says your own because you alone bear responsibility before God for living or not living by the flesh, you will from the flesh reap corruption. So as I watched the basketball game night last night between the Blazers and the uh, Golden State Warriors, I'd say if you fight in the flesh, you're going to reap ejection. <laughs> Two of the players got ejected. Several of the players got ejected. And they might say, well, but he, but he hit me first. But he, you know, you still get penalized because you responded in the flesh. I'm sure that's what the referee said to him, right? <laughs> you should have kept the control of the Holy Spirit in your life. Wesley Matthews won the game anyway. So the, you will from the flesh reap corruption if you live by the flesh. The literal physical sense of the word is that of decomposing, a decomposing corpse. Now, that's not what Paul's talking about here. However, it is a good illustration, a good nasty illustration of what it is to live according to the flesh spiritually. And corruption does not only refer to the overtly nasty sins that we may associate with that word. We think flesh, we think the big ones, the really out there ones listed in the works of the flesh, so on. Uh, but it's also the cleaned up versions of living out of the flesh. So, for example, Jesus called the religious leaders of his day whitewashed tombs that are full of dead men's bones and corruption. So corruption in its nice culturally acceptable version or its less, more nasty version, the less culturally acceptable version, is still flesh. It refers to everything done out of the flesh that is spiritual deadness, not living in faith connection to Christ. Or corruption can also be translated destruction. And in the context, both of these work. If you live out of the flesh, you only produce the works of the flesh, which is corrupt. That is not based upon Christ, not like Christ. And that ultimately leads to eternal destruction. That means living under eternal judgment in an eternally corrupt state. That is horrible. We need to say it because the scripture tells us this is a reality. Living in eternal corruption in an eternally corrupt state, eternal destruction in an eternally corrupt state, we don't want to go there. But if that's all we're doing is living out of the flesh, that's what we'll live in for eternity, alienated from God and all that's good. But the really great news is, if you belong to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, regardless of what you have sown in the past by sowing to the flesh... Once you have the Spirit, you can now sow to the Spirit. That means you can make Spirit-led choices, Spirit-empowered choices, uh, Gospel-centered choices, again and again and again. You say, well, what if I start acting out of my flesh again? And we're going to do it. Probably before the day is out, it's going to happen. Except for Roy. He's pretty holy. He can get by more than a couple days, I think. Right? Right? The Spirit loves to interfere with our fleshing out 
and lead us to keep turning back to Christ again and again and again. That is what it means to be gospel-centered. I keep, I, I recognize I still have flesh and I still act out of it, but I don't say, well, so that's just the way I am. I say, no, I don't want to be the way I am. I want to be the way Christ is. And I continue to come to him again and again and again. That is what it means to live by the Spirit. Turning back to Christ and all that he is for us. Renewing our mind and heart through the word of God. In community with people of God, depending upon him, we act, but we depend upon him. And this is hard work, and the results come slowly, and I get discouraged. Do you get discouraged with how slow the results are? Sometimes it seems like one step forward and 150 steps back, doesn't it? Well, Paul says in verse 9, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Don't grow weary. Don't become discouraged. Don't get tired of doing good. Man, do I need to hear this. I know you need to hear it too. Just Because just as when you plant seed, you don't get instant results, so when you sow to the Spirit, when you do good in Christ, you don't get instant results. Every once in a while, something pretty quick happens, but that's rare. More often than not, it takes a long time to get the results. The due season may be months or years away, but the sure promise is you will reap if you don't quit. You will get Spirit-empowered results if you don't quit. Not, well, every once in a while you'll get the results, but you will get them, always. However, some of them we won't see in this life. That's the catch. Some of them we will. Some of them we'll, we'll see parts in this life. We'll see the whole fulfillment of it in the life to come. That's why you've got to make it into eternity through Christ. Uh, we know that in every other area of life, every area of life, perseverance is necessary to achieve anything worthwhile. Have you noticed that? Perseverance is necessary to achieve anything worthwhile, whether in academics, sports, health and fitness, work, skills, career, marriage, parenting. Doing good has its joys, but it's often hard and discouraging. Uh, perhaps the Galatians are being tempted to just quit doing good, <clears throat> even as we are. Quit doing good by serving others in the gospel and just living for themselves. It's easier to not do the hard work of tilling the soil, planting, weeding, watering, fertilizing, and growing vegetables and fruit. It's just easier not to have to go out and do that, but then you don't get vegetables and fruit. But then you never reap the fruit and veggies. But living for yourself may feel easier. It is, in the short term, it's easier to just live for myself, take care of myself, turn in, inward on myself, pursue my desires. That feels easier, quicker satisfaction. But in the long term, we miss out seeing God and gospel produce results. We are so quick. I am so quick. Some of you are so quick to say, I've had enough. I'm tired of this. I'm burned out. I don't need to keep doing this. Easy, easy place for us to go. While there may be good things that we are doing, that we have a legitimate reason to stop. I wonder how often we do better to heed Paul's words. Don't give up doing good. Don't quit. You will reap if you keep going. You will reap. You will get the results if you keep going. Some in this life, 100% always in the life to come. 
So the question for us today is, where in your life are you growing weary and discouraged of doing good? Where in your life are you growing weary of doing good and getting discouraged? William Carey went to India in 1793 to bring the gospel of Christ to those who never heard. For seven years, he proclaimed the gospel without a single convert to Christ. Over the years, as you might guess, he often struggled with doubt and was discouraged. It was then on December 28, 1800, that Carey baptized in the Ganges River his first Hindu convert, a carpenter named Krishna Pal. That began the Christian movement in India, which despite many, much opposition, has still endured to this day. And he did a lot of good, a lot of good, besides uh, the massive good of bringing people to Christ. He did a lot of physical good for that country. Some say we should do good whether there are ever good results or not. You know, doing good for goodness sake, as, as declared in the great anthem, Santa Claus is coming to town, you know, be good for goodness sake. But the promise of this verse is way better than that. We should not grow weary in doing good because we are guaranteed the results are going to come. We are guaranteed the good results are going to come. If not in this life, 100% guaranteed in eternity. If we don't give up. And finally, in verse 10, Paul says, So then, because of this promise that we will see and enjoy the good results of doing good, as we have opportunity, same due season word from verse 9, in other words, as we have opportunity, when, what opportunity do I have to do good now? What is that? Uh, I'm alive and I'm here. I have opportunity to do, to do good. Uh, so let us be doing good to everyone. Did he say everyone? Yep, he said everyone. Everyone's a valid target for us to do good to. We should be filling up our day and hours and minutes with doing good, serving others through love. Good words, serving them up the delicious fruit of the Holy Spirit. Good attitudes, Showing the gospel, that's good deeds. Sharing the gospel, that's good news. And we especially do good to those who are of the faith family of Christ. They should get our best good, not our leftovers. We are brothers and sisters who will spend eternity together. How? Wow. Pray for one another. I'd, lo- I'd love us to be able to pray for your burdens after the service today. We're going to finish this sermon actually just in another minute. That's probably ex- under exaggeration preacher talk for five minutes. No, we're about done, but we're going to have a song or two, and then I, I want people to come up and ask us to pray for your burdens and things that you are about ready to give up on. So think about that. We'd love to pray for you at the end of the service. So the greatest good ever done was, oh, I forgot to tell you. Pray. How do we do good for one another? Pray. Encouraged by words, notes, phone, and e-communication. Uh, be there in their suffering, meet practical needs, financial help, bearing their burdens, restoring them when they fall into sin. Now, the greatest good ever done with the greatest success was Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. That was for people who were not good. That's us. Some of the reaping we, Christ is seeing now, the full reaping results will be when his people, that's us, who are believers in Christ, are resurrected in the new heavens and new earth. Our good is made good by Christ. So we do good through him by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we will enjoy eternal good as we trust him and live that way. 
Don't give up. Father, thank you that you guaranteed us eternal good in Christ because he completely removed the sin barrier between you and us by his death on the cross and he completely accomplished a new kind of life in his resurrection for us so that we, by trusting in him, could receive your goodness as a gift and we could begin, despite many battles with flesh, between flesh and spirit, living out the good as sort of a down payment, a a veil preview of coming attractions of the fullness of the kingdom. Oh God, help us to bear one another's burdens. Help us to encourage one another to not give up, to grow weary in doing good. In Christ we pray, amen.